Welcome to Gross Anatomy. Lauren, are we live? We're live, Dr. Cohen. <laughs> We're live with the Gross Anatomy podcast where we explore the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine and how it pertains to pop culture, meaning books, movies, TV, and the world around us. And I am Lauren Taylor, joined by the host. Yes, Dr. Jason Cohen. And today we have from UCLA campus, walking around the campus, my friend and incredible surgeon, Dr. Maurice uh, Garcia. Thank, <laughs> thank you for joining us. What are you, what are you doing at UCLA campus? Well, uh, so normally, of course, we work at, at Cedars-Sinai, but today um, I, I, I'm meeting some family and we're walking around the campus, just spending the evening together. Some friends, uh, you know, just came back from some travels and you know, it was sort of a last-minute thing. It's a well-known um, social hangout, uh, the UCLA campus, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. lovely. I, I sat at this table when I was probably 16 or 17 in high school. I'm in front of the uh, the research library, and I used to come out here, and my dad would just do research in there for fun, and I would sit out here and do my homework and study. So I've been coming here for forever. It's part of my life, so it's nice. nice to be back here. Wait a minute, you just said that your dad did research for fun? Yeah, he, uh, we're Sephardic, we're, we're Jewish Sephardic, and he would do research in there about, you know, Sephardic history and stuff, just for, just for fun. I mean, he was a psychiatrist, and, uh, you know, well, personal interest. Yeah. <laughs> so, research. You, you mean like he would do like family genealogy kind of stuff? Yes, yes. I, I found out a lot about our family's history, or he did, and uh, from northern Mexico in Monterey, and um, and also just about the history, the Sephardic, Jewish Jewish Sephardic history as it pertains to Mexico. Um, it's very interesting. So yeah, that's a whole other podcast. But what why we have you on is because yeah. you are you're a urologist right. by training, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But your but your area of expertise, you have become almost world. I, I, I'm not. I'm not talking you up inappropriately. You really wow. are world renowned in doing <laughs> transgender surgery. Yeah, we're a small. Yeah, there's not many of us, so that's part of it. But uh, certainly, but yeah, I I um I do trench. I do gender affirming uh, genital surgery, and so within the the broad tent of or umbrella of gender affirming surgery, because there's facial. There's chest, there's gynecologic surgery, there's body contouring, and then there's genital surgery. I do the genital gender affirming surgery, both you know masculinizing, so going from female anatomy to, to normal and f looking and functioning male anatomy, and then the the, the opposite, the female anatomy, uh, sorry, male anatomy to normal looking and functioning female anatomy. That's what I do. And and um... Of course, that's the hardest of all the the surgeries for gender affirming surgery. I mean, it's the most complex and the hardest, isn't it? You know, I I, I don't know because I've never trained to do the others. Uh, you know, I would think that doing good facial surgery must be it must take a real skill because right. you know it's like I don't You're know how to do modest. it, but you, you know when it's good and you know when it's not so good and right. you know. But uh, so I don't know, but but you know. I only know what I do. And it's, you know, it's like everything, you know, Jason, it's like, um, 
you know, once you learn it, 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 you feel like it's not that hard and it's not that hard to do or teach, but you know, you need to be taught well. And, and, uh, so I don't know. Correct me if, if I'm wrong. I get the sense from you that even though, as you just said, there's so many different, uh, components to, uh, transitioning, it sounds like you, at least in my, in my dealing with you, that you often serve as the, not so much the captain of the ship, but the, but the starting, almost like the quarterback a little bit, helping coordinate. The patients seem to kind of come to you first. Am I, at least at this hospital where you are, right? Is that kind of, yeah, you're the champion almost, right? Yeah, I kind of, I'm the director of our program and, and I do function that I'm kind of, um, gatekeeper is not the right word because I, I don't interfere with anybody. If anything, I facilitate them going to other surgeons for other things. Uh, but I'm kind of the, um, quarterback. I don't know. Yeah. The quarterback or the, you know, the, the shot, you know, yeah. sort of the point person. Um, and, uh, I, I think this is a, this is an area of medicine where it's so interdisciplinary that I think no matter where you are in the world, patients need a point person or a quarterback or, you know, a point person to kind of, you know, I think all patients need a home, uh, right. a doctor that they can still follow up with and, you know, they develop a rapport with and, you know, it, but, but certainly not at the, not the, at the exclusion of another doctor, right. but it's just good to have a home. And I, I kind of function as sort of the home, home provider for, home. for a lot of our patients. Does, so does, um, when a patient decides that he or she wants to undergo surgery, yeah. do they, how, how do they even do it? Where, do, who do they go to? How do they start? Do they, do they start with someone like you or do they start with, and then you usher them to the proper people and channels? Sure. How do, the, even know how to do that? how to do that. Yeah. So, so, so just for, for your audience, um, gender transition, you know, there's, there's three kind of general domains. Uh, there's social transition where you start living and, and presenting yourself to the world and, uh, and, and just living full time in the gender that you identify with. Um, and then the other is another is hormones. Not everyone takes gender affirming hormones, but um, so or cross sex hormone therapy. But many transgender people do, and uh, if they find it very helpful, both mentally and physically. Um, and those are the two kind of big, big. You know, the, those are two of the three big steps that a lot of people end up taking. And there's no cookie cutter process to gender transition. Some trans, there are some transgender people out there that say, I've never needed to see a therapist. I've never needed to, to you know, socially transition. You know, they, they just sort of figure it out. But most right. people do something. Um, and um, so there's social transition, there's hormone therapy. And then the third area that we, we, where we can provide help with is, is you know, body modification or, or surgery. Um, and typically, the surgery comes in later in the pro at the end of the process of transition. At the beginning, it's social and plus or minus hormone therapy. And um, people will see a mental health provider for, for help first coming to terms with their gender identity. Again, not everyone needs a therapist, but some do. 
Um, and we, then, can argue uh, that, we can argue that everybody probably would benefit from a therapist. Listen, so. yeah, I've, you know, I've been in therapy at different points of my life. Yeah. It's one of the great wonder. It's a privilege to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, people, people will see a therapist to talk and kind of come to terms with figure it out and then figure out a way forward to how to, how to live and express themselves the way they want to. For a lot of people, it's hard because society has different ideas about, you know, you know, if you were assigned sex at birth male and, but you identify as a woman, it's not that easy to be, to be who you are always. So people get help with that. Um, so, so, and then, but when it comes time to surgery, so people have already are already living in the identified with gender, they're maybe taking hormones Part of surgery is removing the gonads uh, for many people. And if we remove the gonads, they have to be on some form of hormone, you know, male or female hormones. So that's why it's a requirement that, that you know, if they're going to have genital surgery that, that, in, that involves removing the gonads, that they have been taking hormones. So the so process is... Of that usually? Is that usually done by an endocrinologist or an OBGYN or, or um, it's, would that even be something you would do? Them. I, I don't I'm a surgeon. I, I could right. learn how to manage hormone therapy. It's not normally in our wheelhouse. And, and um, you know, it's just something that, you know, the rest of the world, either a primary care doctor or more commonly an endocrinologist will specialize in that and do that. Um, so they'll do that. Um, but once the person has been transitioned with hormones and social transition, and that they'll say to someone, look, I'm ready to have surgery. The, the guidelines, the professional guidelines by WPATH, which is called the World Profe- or which is the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, it's the professional organization for trans health nationally and internationally. The WPATH guidelines, you know, suggest that um, that a mental health provider should be the one to evaluate the patient first to make sure that that uh, they do indeed have gender dysphoria that. There isn't, you know, something there. Any there aren't any mental health issues that are uncontrolled, mm-hmm. um, and that they meet, you know, the psychological criteria for gender transition, which is pretty simple. You know, that if they have gender dysphoria, and two that they, you know, that the patient has, you know, un, has a, G, a reasonable understanding of what they're electing to start with in terms of surgery that they don't have unreasonable expectations. You know, it, it's just sort of quality control to make sure that someone who's, who's has a, you know, altered mental health status or something else doesn't proceed down the path of surgery, which is irreversible. Um, yeah. You know, it's really to protect people. It's nice. not, uh, you know, some people say, oh, it's gatekeeping. It's not. It's just to, you know, to, to make sure that someone who's not, it's not only not eligible, but who's not really ready doesn't right. proceed until they can. And the therapist is, is there to be helpful for that stuff. Um, and I, so it's, and I think you know, part of the reason too is, so, uh, um, sorry about cutting you off, is no. some of the surgeries, having worked with you, are pretty big surgeries that have their own complications and risks involved with. And it's, I, my guess is it's really important to let these people know um, what they're getting themselves into. A little bit, yeah. you know, what could go wrong, you know, so you really want everybody pretty well informed and, and really knowing what, what they're getting into, right? Yeah. And, and some surgeons say, you know, my job is to just do the surgery and spend a little less time focusing on that stuff. 
I, I, you know, there's no right or wrong officially. It does not seem like you knowing you. Well, yeah, you're right. I, I take a different view. I think that you know, if we're going to, if, if me as the surgeon is going to do it, I, I have some ethical responsibility to make sure that the person I'm doing it to or for is ready, has a good understanding, all these other things. So I sort of double up what the mental health provider kind of screens for. And, and that's, you know, and, and in the course of doing that, you develop you know, a certain intimacy with the patient. They, they trust you and they know you and you have to know them and trust them. And uh, that's how I end up with closer relationships with patients. Yeah. You know, not all surgeons do that. And I'm not so sure I, I can say honestly that it's, it's wrong not to. It, it's right. not wrong, I guess, if there's a good mental health provider doing the other, the other work. But our model is I, I just, I just want to do it myself to be sure. So, and uh, it's worked out so, well. So, where where you are, or or in general, are there certain centers that a patient will go to, and and every type of doctor that they need is there? You know, the endocrinologist is there, the surgeon is there, the psychiatrist is there. Is it like one stop? You know, everyone is there that you need, or or do the patients have to kind of go shopping around and finding and picking and choosing? That's a great question, Jason. You know. In an ideal world, um, so the care is interdisciplinary. Right. In an ideal world, the place where people get care would also be interdisciplinary. So a center like Cedars-Sinai where we have every type of provider that a patient could need under one tent. You know, the surgery that I do, colorectal surgery, that you know, general surgery that you do, uh, other colleagues, primary care, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it... it that's the ideal. Um, in the real world, though, other parts of the real world, there aren't, you know, centers that have gotten organized enough or have been able to put together a, a big enough team to cover all that. You know, it's a new field. As I said at the beginning, you know, there aren't a lot of us that do this and there just aren't enough places, you know, centers that big to do this in, in such a multi-interdisciplinary way. So people kind of have to cobble their care they have a, a therapist in the community and maybe their hormone provider is also a community provider. But then they go to the university center for the surgery and they go somewhere else for, to preserve their, you know, their, their sperm or eggs or something. And, you know, people have to just cobble it together. So I think one of the challenges of the field is we have to communicate well together. It's much easier to communicate you know, across disciplines at Cedars-Sinai, we're one institution versus this other model. And if you don't communicate well, then patients, the care that they get is a little, can be a little disjointed potentially. Right. Things can potentially fall through the cracks. And How many, yeah. how many surgeons like you exist in America, in the world? That's a good question. I, I'm not so sure I know. I, I think I, I'm part of WPATH, this professional organization, and I've been a member for many years, and I kind of know most people in the field, you know, it's a growing field. So it's, there's a lot of new people kind of popping up, doing it, their building experience and so forth. But my, my guess is in the country, probably less than, you know, that, that, that have been doing it for at least two or three years, probably less than 50 uh, in the country, maybe closer to 30 or 40 for, fem, for masculinizing surgery, far fewer, maybe 20 to 30. Um, and then for feminizing, probably more, maybe closer to 40 or 50. So the small numbers, uh, the, one, the same goes thing, in Europe and yeah. other parts of the world. One thing I know you do, because my partner was helping you on those surgeries, yeah. was 
um, making, creating vaginas for, for women from, by using the colon, which I yeah. think, which is such an amazing, you know, unbelievable surgery. How many yeah. people are doing that? I, I, is that something widely done? No, very few. And I think that's a good example of, of, of why this putting together a, a program that gives good care is hard. That's a very interdisciplinary, right? I'm not a colorectal surgeon. Right. I, I mean, I could, we in urology do harvest bowel, but I'm not going to do it as well as a good, trained, highly high-volume colorectal surgeon. Uh, so, I, you know, I do the right thing. I, I say, listen, this is your area of expertise. You, you join me. This is my area of expertise. Let's join and we each do what we know super well and do super well. We do it together and have a better outcome. And that's how we do it. But, you know, in medicine, interdisciplinary programs are a little bit hard. It's like getting two people in the same operating room to work it out and all that. We're all friends, but for some reason, it's just, I don't know, the culture of medicine is very, this is what I do and I do it and I do it alone or it's I, a, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, that, I've always felt that that's, that's a big problem in medicine is that yeah. doctors, especially surgeons, aren't really team players for some, for some, they're all, for most, you know, you feel like most doctors, especially surgeons are kind of lone wolves who kind of do yeah. their thing and like to do their thing their own way a little bit. And then yeah, there's the I, whole competition thing also, you know, everybody's kind of an alpha, you know, yeah. thinking that yeah. no one's as good as they are. So there's definitely that issue too, I think. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I think the other is just, you know, our, our work lives are very solo centric or very just us. You know, I get up, I see patients, and then I go to the operating for my cases and everything is me, me, me. But whereas when you have a program where you have to operate with someone else, you got to you got to talk before cases, got to be there in the same day and then chat after cases and, and tell patients, you know, I don't know, I'm going to defer to Dr. Ellenhorn for that question. And, oh, this is a question I can do. And I'll take, I'll, t I'll take care of this and be responsible for this part. And you just have to do it. And, you know, of course, I, I love all the people I work with, you and your colleagues and others. But, yeah, there's a, there's a certain culture that we're just not as, I think doctors aren't as used to. I, I don't think they're incapable of it, but it's just, you know, I don't know. Aligning complicated schedules is hard. Well, one um, thing that definitely helps is I know you had uh, in your team nurses or nurse practitioners or PAs who kind yeah. of tie and blend everybody together and, and could kind of help with a lot of that communication too, which is great. Yeah. 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 The, 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 there's a lot of, there's a lot of people to the team besides the surgeon and without them, and they're all, we're all equally important. They're as important as I am. Good nursing care, a good front office that when people call in that, you know, their, you know, the pronouns are used correctly. They're, you know, people making someone feel welcome in a place is, is not easy. It takes effort. And, you know, the front office is as important as the surgeon, which is as important as the nursing staff, as the hospital nurses that take care of our patients and on 8 South at Cedars. So all that has to be put into place. And that's kind of what I focus on, you know, too, is just making a, a nest for the whole thing to happen. So, um, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of people, important people to the team. I know your patients really love you. Um, oh. <laughs> did you, did you ever, did you ever have a challenge you know, when you were first starting this surgery 
connecting, you know, when you first started doing these operations, was it hard for you to, to connect to, to people, you know, to this kind of surgery or, or did you find fortunately it was just came natural to you? No, no. I, I think the inclination to, to do it and to do it well came natural to me. The ability to did nothing comes natural, at least to me, I have to work on it, but it was a process of learning. Uh, at first, I just wasn't as familiar with some of the patients that I'd be encountering, some of their needs, some of their backstories, some of their the baggage that they come with. Yeah. Uh, some of that is how they've been treated not so well by other people like me, other doctors and surgeons. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, all that takes experience and you have to kind of really do a lot of listening and, and be, I think, be humble too. You have to just kind of accept that, you know, you're learning. And once you learn and, you know, and then, you know, not that all patients are the same, but then you feel comfortable fielding questions. You feel comfortable anticipating questions or anticipating concerns, anticipating anxieties. And then the more you can speak to that preemptively, the more your patients feel satisfied and like they're getting good care from you. Yeah. So it's a learning process and I had to learn it. Um, nothing came natural other than just the desire to, to give people good care and, you know, respectful care and, and so forth. So that's the only thing that came <laughs> that I started with. Yeah. How do people find you now? How, what, what typically you know, is it? I guess the truth is in this field, people hear about the uh, people communicate a lot through social media and blogs and groups and organizations. And, you know, if you give good care, they talk about you and recommend you to other people. And that's how it always happened. When I was at UCSF, everyone knows about it, everyone else that way. So it's a real word of mouth thing. So you got to, you know, be, be good and be nice. And, you know, you know, you earn your reputation for better or for worse. Yeah. So, um, listen, um, Dr. Cohen, my friend, my family's here and my friends, um, I'm going to have to go. I'd love to continue the conversation. There's still sure. so much to talk about. If you guys are interested in talking about this more about other areas, I'd love to come back another day. I'd love to ask you more. So yes, thank you okay, for Lauren. doing this show. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. And I apologize if I made you wait, uh, you and no, Jason. This was great. Thank, this was uh, a great little short teaser and, and okay. hopefully we'll be able to do a part two. Enjoy okay. your family. Bye. I'll look forward to it. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.